This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. A couple of weeks ago, I was joined by Dave Marsden to discuss the UFC anti-doping policy with the United States Anti-Doping Agency. And I'm going to continue the anti-doping conversation on this episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast as I'm going to be joined by Jeff Cruchel. Jeff is a host of Crest Performance on Radio Influence, and he's been working with athletes for over 25 years to help them tap into their potential to truly understand what it is like to achieve human maximum performance, engineering his unique blend of science and training techniques with the holy grail of success, motivation. Jeff's expertise lies in creating the next generation of top performers. I'm going to talk with Jeff about anti-doping, performance-enhancing drugs, and get his unique look at this topic on this week's episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Now, before I bring in Jeff, I want to let you know about my sponsor, Fight TV. The Fight app is your wrestling, MMA, and boxing TV. Watch live pay-per-views and free programming on your own own schedule. Download Fight Free today by going to fight, F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash Radio Influence forward slash. Once again, that is fight, F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash Radio Influence forward slash. And that link is also available on RadioInfluence.com. Jeff, thanks for coming on the podcast. For my listeners that are not familiar with who you are and your work, let them know about your history of working with athletes. Yeah, so thanks for having me on. First of all, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Jason, it's an important conversation for starters. If nothing else happens today other than we raise some awareness and get people thinking about options and some of the dangers out there, mission accomplished, my good man, for sure. So, so yeah, my background is sport performance. I did my degree in uh, kinesiology, exercise physiology, and got involved in the Olympic programs in Canada, which was very interesting. It was at the University of Calgary where, you know, a lot of the international competitions were for the uh, winter sports. And so got very involved in the high-performance sporting world right off the bat. Got involved in the varsity scene for uh, college sports. And uh, then moved on to the professional ranks and worked with a lot of NHL teams, pro football. And my, uh, my ship landed with the Toronto Blue Jays in the late 90s where I hooked up with them as a minor league coordinator and built that program. Uh, spent a lot of time with the Blue Jays, still helped them out quite a bit. In uh, 2004, I stepped down from the Blue Jays and moved into Major League Baseball, you know, consulting uh, internationally. And from there, it's been a, a huge ride of, you know, getting coordinated and connected to some of the world's best minds in sports performance. But uh, even outside of baseball, building some great relationships in other other pro sports. And it doesn't matter where we go or what sport we're talking about. This conversation we're having today impacts everybody in sports. So I'm glad to be here. And of course, uh, I know you uh, with your work with the MLB, you were just down in Brazil, obviously Brazil, a a mecca of mixed martial arts. So uh, what's baseball like in Brazil? Yeah, I was very surprised, actually. There's a deep culture. Now, it's pocket-oriented. There's over 2 million people in Brazil. And, you know, soccer, uh, football is probably their main sport, of course, down there. But there are these rich, rich areas of baseball culture. And there's some great players coming out of out of Brazil, for sure. So we're down there trying to build the infrastructure. So, you know, young players 
can grow up and aspire to go to college or play pro or just grow the game at a grassroots level in Brazil. So it's fantastic. It was a real treat. The facility there is one of the um, uh, uh, better facilities we actually have in, in, in our global game development program. So I was really impressed. Of course, uh, your latest podcast here on Radio Influence uh, gives a preview of the MLB, MLB season. I mean, come on. I can't get any race coverage on, about uh, the upcoming season. Oh, yeah, they're probably not going to be that good. <laughs> hey, 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 don't hey, don't get don't get fooled by the race, man. It's not that they're not going to be that good. They have some really special things going on. They just don't have the depth. And I don't think the uh, you know, there's the Rays are facing a lot of issues down there, right? From the yeah. from the uh, stadium to the crowds. Uh, to ownership issues, but uh, they've got some really interesting things going on, and they've made a lot of news here in spring training, you know, paying attention to the sports science side. Uh, they're letting their guys sleep in a little bit. That's going to pay off, uh, but I think that just sort of uh, gives us a little insight as to how progressive they're thinking and trying to do what they can with their smaller budget and, and the team they have. But, uh, hey, don't let the Rays not surprise you this year because I think, you know, if you just watch them from a fan perspective, uh, they're going to be fun to watch. Oh, look, I'll still be watching. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the stadium issues are going to be interesting. Stu Sternberg coming out this week and not exactly yeah. having a, a lot of great things to say. I think ultimately, who, wherever this team is with a new stadium, I, I don't think Stu Sternberg is going to be the owner. I, I think that ultimately this team, someone's going to buy this team. I don't. I know a lot of people here in Tampa think it's ultimately going to be Jeff Vinnick. I, I don't think it's going to be Vinnick. I, I think it's probably going to be someone else. But uh, it, the crazy thing is, as much as they have the attendance issues, they have some of the best television ratings in all of the league. Yeah, isn't it crazy? And I, and again, I, I find that really interesting. Um, but but kudos to them. There there's something there, Jason. Most definitely, they just need to get that ship straightened out. And I think it could be real special, man. And of course, that stadium is going to be the clincher. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, but you know, I think they go through a, a problem that a lot of sports teams have is the at home experience to watch sports is so much. It's so it, they've made it so easy. Whether we're talking about MLB. Uh, or, or any sport, and even MMA to to a point of that, where people can you know sit in front of their computer uh, and, and watch the events. But you know, obviously, we want to talk about anti doping, and I first off want to start off talking about supplements because with what has happened with the UFC, with you know bringing in USADA to run their anti doping policy, we have seen uh, you know multiple you know fighters test positive for a banned substance, and uh, basically it's hey, I didn't know I was taking that. Um, I, I was you know, I was taking these supplements and. You know, I think that Jeff Nowitzki has done a very good job of kind of being that liaison between, you know, the fighter and, and USADA and helping fighters out in terms of, hey, send me everything that that you're taking and we can find out. And, and in some situations, it has been, hey, there there's a banned substance in, in this supplement. Uh, you know, for you, I'm sure this is a story you hear all the time in your dealings with athletes. And, you know, maybe for an MLB player, it's a lot easier to go go out and get things tested because, uh, overall, they're they're making more money than a fire is. But do you, do you think there's ever going to be a time where the supplement industry actually starts getting regulated with what's actually in these supplements? Yeah, you know what? That is a great question, and it's something that we've been uh, questioning for a long time. I don't think so because I think that regulation is going to have to come from a government level. And unless the FDA and FTC really get the support from the federal government, Jason, I don't think it's going to happen. Listen, the supplement world is one of the shadiest, darkest, uncontrolled industries in, in, in business. And I'm telling you right now, it is a $60 billion business. If you look at the sports supplement weight loss industry, and they're predicting 
that the entire dietary supplement industry is projected to reach about $278 billion in revenue by 2024. And I don't know if we're ever going to have uh, the means to go up against that industry, but here's what I can tell you. The story really starts in the supplement industry back in 2000, 2001, when the IOC was faced with this very same conversation that we're having with the UFC. Some of their really respected top athletes were testing positive, claiming that they didn't take anything. So when they got to the bottom of it, you know, the fingers pointed at these dietary supplements that they were taking, innocently enough, right? So the IOC is going, okay, look, these great ambassadors, we just don't believe they intentionally cheated. Let's let's find out what's going on. So in 2000, 2001, the IOC went out around the world and grabbed 634 dietary supplements just off the shelf. It could be the, the little uh, health food store down your street, for crying out loud. They went to 215 different stores in 13 different countries, and they tested these supplements. And what they found in 2001 was that almost 15% had ingredients that weren't on the label that would cause a positive test. Now, fast forward to today, some of the recent studies that have been done today, about 25% of the supplements on the market have ingredients in them that aren't on the label that would cause a positive test. And that's a big number, and it's a dangerous game to play. Now, Jason, listen, some of these are intentionally spiked, and some of them are cross-contaminated due to poor production uh, protocols. So it is a real issue. The bottom line is this for the athlete, and this is what WADA will, will say, and this is what happened with Sharapova. Uh, at the end, the athlete is solely responsible mm -hmm. for what goes in that body, so it's a tough spot for them to be in. That, that's what I've always said is, I mean, you, you feel bad for an athlete if they take something they didn't knowingly know a banned substance in there, but at the end of the day, you have to you have to know what you're putting in your body. I mean, even for me, it's just the average show that you know tries to go to the gym four to five days a week and if I if I'm going to you know the local nutrition store, I'm I'm sitting there going, hey, you know, a can I am I trusting the person that's in this store that they have the knowledge of what I'm trying to accomplish? And B, is there something in there that's going to kind of mess with my body that obviously it's not what I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah, no, and and the, the funny thing there is, you know, even those even those guys who are at the shop. They don't even know that stuff's in there. And again, some of it's intentional, some of it isn't. You know, some of these companies will get their supplements produced and packaged overseas at a real low cost. And, you know, some of these production facilities also do pharmaceuticals for some of the big companies. And when that production line isn't cleaned and, and sterilized properly, you get this cross contamination that can cause a positive test. Now, probably more so, uh, these companies actually spike their products with with uh, um, anabolic substances and even amphetamine type stimulants. And uh, it gives the user a, an effect, a result. So people keep buying their product. Now, the problem is, is it's been correlated uh, recently with a number of deaths, you know, with contraindications with medica medications that people take. So it's a big, big issue. And so you have to be careful. Now, you know, you look at Major League Baseball and the NFL, NCAA, the PGA's on board now. They're all looking at this certification program for supplements. And we have Informed Choice. We have the NSF Sports Certified. And these are good programs. At least there's something going on out there. But when it comes to WADA and USADA, they'll have nothing to do with saying yes or no to a supplement, all they'll do is give you a list of stuff that can't go in your body. So again, you know, there's just no escaping it. You've got to be incredibly careful. Look for those 
reputable brand names in terms of supplements because, you know, a couple positive tests can bring these companies down. But you want to certainly look for the NSF certification and the informed choice as well. There's fires that listen to this podcast and, you know, they're obviously looking at what supplements are going to help them out to, to maximize their performance. When you're working with an athlete, is there a general rule you have when it comes to supplements? Yeah, for sure. You know what? Here's the thing with supplements. If you just look at the name supplements, that's that's sort of our cue to really get our mindset around it. Look, we use supplements simply because our guys can't eat enough or regularly enough over the course of the day real food. We supplement our good diets, our well-rounded diets with supplements. Now look, when we talk about nutrition, our bodies work on this 24-hour clock. When we design our programs for our athletes, it's a 24-hour window. So you know if a guy gets caught traveling or misses a meal or two or hydrates or misses a feeding pre or post training, uh, we never make more than a 24-hour mistake. And if you start working with that kind of a mindset, you can get a lot done, Jason, for sure. But the supplements, we plug into the program to fill the gaps where we're maybe not able to eat uh, a whole meal or regular food or some of these guys are eating 10,000 calories. It's not possible to consume that much food over the course of the day. So some of these supplements come into play for sure. So it's very individual and it's very strategic as well. We don't just go loosely out there and, you know, slam down a couple protein shakes because there's protocols there based on the dietary needs and the training of the, of the athlete for sure. So uh, it's a, it's a actual beautiful dance when you get into the rhythm. When I had Dave Marsden on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about USADA, one of the things that really stuck out to me, what he said was the athletes of the past are basically, or should we phrase this, the athletes of today are paying for what the athletes of the past did, and particularly with what's happened in cycling. Um, you know, when you when you see what what is going on with USADA and, you know, it's UFC touted as the toughest drug testing policy in all the sports. Well, yeah, it's the toughest policy because it also was not collectively bargained. You know, it's not like MLB just went to the player and say, hey, this is a drug test. And you have to take it the, the way the UFC has done. What's your thoughts on USADA and how they go about uh, implementing their program? Yeah, I, I like it. I think this is a great relationship. You know, it started back in, in 2015, and uh, I, I think it was a great move. Now, hiring um, uh, Novitsky was a, a, the next big move, I think, in terms of, of this program being where it's at today. But um, anytime you can get that sort of neutral third party involved, uh, that's a powerful thing. And if you look at the hassles that we had in Rio with the Russian Federation and WADA and the IOC sort of overruling WADA's recommendation, uh, that's where we start running into problems. But I really like what UFC is doing here, Jason. I think working with USADA is the perfect marriage. I'm glad it happened because it's sending a message to other sports as well to toughen up. And, and you're right. We have to now go through this phase where we're reestablishing credibility. But here's the other problem, you know. Despite our best intentions with testing and random testing and, and the technology that's available, the drug industry is always going to be ahead. Mm -hmm. I just don't see a time ever that we're going to catch up with the new designer drugs. I mean, there's drugs out there that, that won't even show up on tests right now. Maybe two or three years from now, we'll have a test for it. Um, but in some instances, we don't even know this stuff exists or we certainly don't have the tests to, to test for it. So um, there, there's this phase now I think we have to go through to establish credibility and programs like 
we're seeing with USADA and UFC is a big step in the right direction for all of sport. Is HGH still a, a, a major um, thing that people huge, are using? Huge, huge. And I think it's just gaining steam. And it's gaining steam because of the implications it has on basically every type of, of performance. But it's also incredibly dangerous, right? Listen, if you're not properly screened before putting this stuff inside of your body, you're playing with fire. If we look at the black market steroids, for example, the crap you get online or from the local joker down at the gym, you know, these 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 dealers, it's no different than the drug trade, Jason. These these steroids you buy in the black market are cut down and laced with crap. We don't even know what it is. And some of the research that we've, we've seen recently shows that about 80% of the black market steroids are impure and full of ingredients that we don't even know what it is. So first of all, if you're going to play this game of going to the dark side, uh, which is a conversation we'll have to address here, you know, you better be freaking careful and ready for the consequences because it's a dangerous game of roulette you're playing. This stuff's impure. And if you're not taking the right stuff, if you're not taking a pharmaceutical grade, and if you're not screened or under the, the guise of a doctor, you're playing with fire, my man. And so um, there's bigger issues involved here other than, you know, the, the testing and the non-testing. I think the education side is going to be as important because there are things you can do to get massive results and at times even better results than you would get using this stuff if you just know what to do. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, USADA does along with doing urine is blood testing. I've always said to truly catch fighters, you, you have to do the blood testing. But one of the things I've heard is that there's some tests kind of coming around now that they're able to detect urine, uh, via, you know, detect testosterone via urine test. Yeah, no, there's no question that the testing is getting more sophisticated, too. I don't think it's quite honed as much. And, you know, all this stuff has to go through approval processes. But, you know, the creme de la creme is the urine slash blood testing right now. That would be the golden standard for sure. Um, but it's expensive, you know. So for the pro sports like like UFC and, and you know, for Major League Baseball and NFL and the PGA, that it makes a lot of sense. But at the developmental levels or in these sports, sort of fringe sports, it's just way too expensive to have it done at a frequency and, you know, at a level where it's actually going to impact or I guess maybe, um, um, you know, sort of steer people away from, from going to the dark side. So, yeah, there are tests coming. And I think one of the biggest innovations we've seen in recent time is the blood passport system, which uh, the cycling International Cycling Union instituted. And, you know, one thing that I respect about those guys is, you know, when they have one of their superstars test positive, they're not afraid to go on the front page of every single newspaper in the world and throw names and name names. And I think that's really been a good deterrent, but it also spurred on this whole movement towards what can we do to even the playing field? Because not everybody wants to go to the dark side. A lot of athletes are forced to just to maintain their career and their livelihoods because everybody else is using. So the blood passport system was a really, really unique and powerful tool, and I'm hoping that grows into something that could be a little more standard across the uh, sporting uh, landscape. Yeah, what I don't like what the UFC and USADA does is when a fighter, you know, so, you know something happens, whether um, maybe in a questionnaire, you know, they ultimately admit that they have something or, or no un, you know, unknowingly took something as they'll put this statement out of it's a provisional suspension. Because once you put a, a statement out there, that that athlete is always going to be labeled as a drug cheat, even if that athlete ends up getting cleared six months from now. 
Yeah, no, there is a certain stigma that's that's there for sure. And, you know, again, I think you mentioned it earlier, this generation of athletes is paying for what's happened in the past. I mean, it's hard to look at an athlete who's successful and not think about uh, what's going on behind the scenes, even if it's not true. So, yeah, there's a stigma there for sure. And I do agree. You've got to be careful. You better have a uh, you better have bulletproof positive testing before you put a name out there. I, I, and I agree with you there for sure. And, uh, you know, and obviously you know, we've had, you know, I think right now 5% of the UFC roster is actually under suspension for, for whatever reason. One of those fighters is John Jones, one, one of the best out there. And, of course, his defense was that the, uh, the banned substance was in a dick pill. When you hear that, what goes through your mind? Yeah, again, you got to go back to, and there are, there are reasons. I mean, <laughs> there are substances inside of cough medicines, certainly, you know, for the vitality stuff, no, no question about it, that are banned substances. Anything that would change body chemistry to give you a performance advantage is going to be, you know, on the list. So, again, it goes back to that ruling that, you know, the athlete has to be ultimately responsible for absolutely everything that goes in their body, whether it's a medication or not. And, you know, whether that's through the uh, USADA's doctors getting it checked out there or whether it's through UFC connections, um, getting your supplements or your medications checked out there. It has to happen. There's no excuse here. So, again, that's a tough one. It's unfortunate it happened. But at the end of the day, hey, man, that's a bad judgment call not to get that checked out before you use it. Right. Yeah, and sometimes it's amazing to me when we hear these stories of like, oh, my teammate just gave it to me and I took it. And I'm like, oh, so someone just gives you something and you take it. It's like going, you're out, you know, you're you're out there partying in Las Vegas and someone gives you a pill on the strip. Are you just going to take that pill? I mean, you don't know what's in it. And I, and I, right. I, I do hope that that UFC athletes in particular start to kind of learn the mistakes of other fighters. But you know, the term performance enhancing drug. I don't necessarily love that term because, uh, you know, whatever people think about Shell Sauna, but, you know, one of the things that Shell, and he has, you know, failed for banned substances in the past, but one of these things he said, he goes, anything you put in your body is to enhance your performance. I mean, whether maybe it's eating the right nutrition, it's, a, it's about enhancing your performance. That's why I've never liked the term performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, you're right. And I agree with you there. There's, there's certainly a line that, that can't be crossed there. I, I agree with that statement. There are things that we do. And, you know, basically every strategy we have with our athletes is to enhance performance. But I think, you know, when we look at the true definition, if we get an understanding of it, you know, it's things that would would give you an unfair, unnatural, unnatural advantage or cause an unnatural change in the body that, you know, would give you an advantage in the in the in the ring. And that's that's kind of what it comes down to, you know, this sort of. If we look at the big picture now, the performance enhancing drugs or the appearance and performance enhancing drugs, they're all coming into it. And then, of course, there's the mainstream, you know, the the, the uh, narcotics that, that come into play as well. So, yeah, I agree with you. I wish there was a better term there that would sort of clarify what what it means. Uh, but I guess this is, the, this is what we're dealt with right now. Marijuana is on the ban list with, with WADA. Now, WADA has, and, and most of the state athletic commissions have raised their level. Texas is still at an extremely low level. Um, 50 yeah. uh, milligrams where watt is at is 150 what's your what's your thoughts you know because you know it's it's a huge topic to mma circles about you know marijuana what what should be the limit for it should it even be on the ban list i mean I, you know and i've talked to executive directors about this and, and the thing that they say to me is says look you don't want a guy walking into you know whether it's a boxing ring or or an mma cage on fight night 
stoned. So what's your thoughts about marijuana on the ban list? Yeah, I, I don't mind it. Again, it, it's sort of a mixed bag of tricks, especially as this, we look at you know the legalization of this stuff in, in the general marketplace, right? So are we going to start saying, hey, look, we're going to start measuring for alcohol before guys go into into a fight. So it's kind of a Pandora's box. I don't mind that it's there uh, for safety reasons, maybe more than anything. I don't necessarily know that it, that it gives a fighter an advantage other than it might help them, you know, deal with anxiety and nerves, but does it actually provide a performance enhancement? That's the argument that still the jury's out on that one. So, you know, right now the 150 milligrams seems to be the, the, the holding point. Um, so, Again, I'm not necessarily against it. I don't mind that it's there. Uh, I just don't know if it's quite necessary yet. You know, you know. It's, so it's one of those sort of gray areas for me. Do you, do, you know, there, there's a thought process that a, a reason a lot of athletes have gravitated to marijuana is for basically uh, a rehab type purpose. Do you, do you think that's a, a big reason why a lot of athletes have turned to marijuana? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, I just, I can't justify that in my mind. If we had an athlete come to us saying they wanted to do it for for rehab purposes, I just couldn't I couldn't couldn't agree with that. Just because I don't see the scientific proof that goes on that there's so many more things that you can do, and you know whether it actually enhances performance or whether it's a mindset sort of thing. I don't think there's a physiological advantage there. At least nothing that's scientifically solid, right? So so. Um, I think that would be more of an individual preference. Uh, I would, I would, you know, for our athletes, we just stay away from that as much as possible. I think the the big issue, and state athletic commissions know this, is if you're in a state that has medical marijuana that is legalized, and you have a fighter who has a legitimate medical marijuana card, how do you handle that? And I think not just are we talking about from a an MMA perspective. That's got to be something that all sports have to be considering: is what happens if you do have someone who actually has a medical purpose for it. Yeah, and that's where the therapeutic use exemption uh, um, protocols really come into play because there are legitimate reasons for using it, right? There seriously are. So um, every sporting organization has a therapeutic use exemption, uh, and that that's that's a very serious, well vetted process. So um, if it goes through that, I mean, hey, there there you go. But then again, you got to understand that there will be regulations on that in terms of competition times or blood levels, and uh, you're right. It does sort of open a Pandora's box of who gets to use and who doesn't get to use. But um, right now, the best, I guess, scenario that we have is that uh, therapeutic uh, use exemption. And, and TUEs have been a big part of, of MMA over the years, going back to when uh, TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, was uh, allowed. Yeah. Of course, no longer that is that allowed. And uh, you know, in USADA, there is a there is a program that you have to go through. But uh, you know, USADA has come under fire for the fact of granting TUEs after the fact, most notably with with Chris Cyborg. Uh, you yeah. know, where you know after the fact they they give it to her, but then there, there's been situations. Uh, you know, notably uh, one fighter recently, George Sullivan, who is going through a process now where basically he he was taking uh, some uh, things to, to have children where there was a banned substance in it. And if for a situation like that, you feel bad for the fighter, but also this goes into the part of where you have to disclose everything. And, and that's where I think that where guys ultimately get themselves in trouble is just not by disclosing what they're taking to USADA and why they're taking it. 
Yeah, and that's the and that's the key. Look, USADA has a pretty pretty good code of conduct in terms of privacy, and there's no reason not to do that, Jason. So you know that's that's an oversight. And again, a lot of these fighters, I mean, look, they're just guys. They're like you and me. They just have a specialty that they focused on. And so you know, when we look at our athletes, we also look at the performance team around them, the people that are influencing influencing them or the people that, that that can steer them in the right direction or the wrong direction for that matter, right? So the entourage, so to speak, or their performance team. And so what we encourage a lot of our guys to do, our athletes, whether it's our fighters or whether it's our pro golfers, doesn't matter. Um, we really make sure that they've designated somebody on their team if they don't want to do it themselves and, and they have to be involved to some degree. But if they don't want to do it themselves in terms of getting um, supplements or medications vetted, uh, get somebody on your performance team that will do that for you. And it better be a trusted person because look, that's just an oversight and that's unacceptable. Again, that falls on the athlete. You've got to get this stuff vetted out. The list of banned substances is the list of banned substances. You cannot allow that stuff to go into your body. So again, it comes down to the responsibility of the athlete to get that done. But, you know, but what about after the fact, you know? Yeah, do you- I don't like it. I, I just, I don't buy it. I mean, there's too many shady things that can go down there. Um, I don't, I guess, what do you do after the fact? And maybe we'd have to really analyze that situation a little bit. But, but I'm not a big fan at all of after the fact. Either it's in there or it's not. If you didn't disclose it or you didn't do your due diligence like everybody else has to, well, then, hey, yeah, I think you got to pay the price there. You know, and one of the things we've also have seen is where fighters, you know, some fighters get a longer suspension, shorter suspension, and, and could be very similar cases. And, you know, and, and sometimes having that high-priced lawyer, having that high-priced manager can can ultimately pay off for a fighter. But you, you do feel bad for those guys that necessarily can't afford it. And I think that's also got to be part of the problem is when you're an athlete, you find yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you have to go in, in front of an arbitration and you don't have the money. A guy like John Jones can't afford it. A guy who's kicking off a UFC fight card, he can't. He can't fight that. And that's where I think you know somehow there, there's got to be a middle ground for all fighters to be able to financially afford to to fight their case if they truly believe that uh, you know they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. There should, and I, I, I would, I would actually be, I would actually be involved in a lobby for that because you're right. There has to be a fair playing field here. I mean, that just discredits the whole system. I mean, UFC is touting that this is the uh, uh, the strictest and toughest drug program in all of the sport. But you know, if we can do the old O.J. Simpson, you know, hire the best lawyers and mm-hmm. and 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 you know, weaken the evidence or put shade of gray over everything where other guys can't i'll tell you what man it doesn't work that way so so i'm with you there there's got to be uh there's got to be a way to have an even playing field no question about it i'm all over that you know one of my my issues with usada and and i still don't understand this is why they decide to start knocking on dudes doors at six o'clock in the morning And, and i had one fighter uh come on my podcast before below muhammad and he told me where he got woke up at 6 a.m and he gets to the gym at 10 a.m., and the same drug tester is sitting there. And I don't know if you heard this story where Jake Ellenberger, UFC fighter, gets a wake-up call. He's got young kids. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning. Someone's banging on his door. He shows up to the door with a gun in his hand because he's like, who the <laughs> yeah. hell is knocking on my door? Which I I, I feel bad for, for these testers. But also, is that like the most awkward job you can apply for, to sit there and be a, a, a drug tester? <laughs> Yeah, it has to be. I'm telling you right now, that is one tough job. There's no question about it. And these guys are thrown into the fire. You're right. I kind of feel bad for them. 
Um, but I mean, when it comes to the true spirit of the random test, I can't see a better way to do it. You know, you got to be able just to show up at any point in time. And so when you join, when you're part of that USADA testing pool, I guess that's just kind of the stuff you got to be, you got to be prepared for. Now, when it gets outrageous or when an athlete gets targeted for maybe no good reason, then we have an issue, of course. But yeah, and that random testing can be, can be, uh, uh, let's say a trying experience. Let's put it that I, way. I, I've heard stories from fighters about what happens and like literally like the, the person is standing right next to you as you're peeing in a cup. I mean, yeah. like where, like where in college do you say, you know what? I want to be a drug tester and stand next to a dude peeing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that course looks like. I, I I didn't see that on the curriculum, but yeah, man, that's a tough. Takes a special person to do it, but yeah, man, they got to watch that stuff go out and into the cup. That's their job to make sure that there's no way that it can be a falsified specimen. So yeah, that's a tough job, man. I don't wish that on anybody. And I thought one of the most interesting things that I recently heard is, you know, because you know, you see these, you know, and you saw it as very transparent about who's getting drug tested, how many times they're being drug tested. They're very transparent about, you know, all that and updating those figures pretty pretty regularly. But one of the things I thought was interesting is because sometimes you'll see, you know, hey, this fighter A was only tested for urine, where fighter B was also urine and blood, and you kind of go, well, why why is it not both? And I thought it was interesting the fact of basically you saw it just doesn't have enough people to go around and do blood testing as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I don't think I don't think the cost for UFC, I don't think the cost is the real issue. It's resources, right? So again, part of the random testing protocol, I believe the way it shakes out is, you know, the blood testing and the urine is incredibly random, and so you could be targeted for both or one or the other, depending on on what's happening at any point in time. So um, it would be nice to see sort of a consistent approach across the board, but then again. Um, if this is where we're at at this point in time, it's not the worst case scenario. I think, you know, the number one thing we want here, Jason, with these programs is just a deterrent. We want to raise awareness. We want a deterrent. We want to try to even the playing field. That's USADA's prime directive is even the playing field. And, and hopefully this does it. Just the threat of a random test can, can really change an athlete's mindset. And, and let's get to the root of it, though. Like, let's go to the real root of what's going on out there. Look. In my experiences with athletes at every single level of sport, and I'm talking some of the best athletes in the world, right to grade school kids who are just passionate about sport, the reason they go to the dark side is because they don't know what else to do. That's the problem. And, you know, you can imagine with all the money and you we, you know you've had this conversation before, with all the potential earnings that are out there now in professional sport, there's a serious serious you know carrot hanging there that, that might tempt somebody to go to the dark side and what do we always talk about with our athletes and, and it doesn't matter whether I'm working with an individual athlete or a team or an organization early on in the relationship and annually every single year I will sit with either the athlete or the group of athletes with no other coaches no other administrators around and we will have a talk about steroids and here's what I want to know from my athletes and it's like attorney client privilege this is like the vault I want to know if they're using what they're using and they don't have to say it in the group I just want them to know that hey I would like to know 
So one, I can make sure that they're not killing themselves. And two, if something does happen, at least we have a frame of reference to why it might be happening. The second thing I ask for is, hey, if you have used, what have you used? Because if something does go wrong, at least we have a reference point of what, what one of the issues might be. And then the third thing that I always address with the groups, and this is any level of athlete, is if you're thinking of using, come talk to me first. And I'm quite blatant about it. I will talk you out of it, and I'll show you how to get results that are better or above and beyond anything you can get while you're using these drugs. So that that's an important conversation to have. And, you know, if we look at where we're at right now, just think of how popular UFC is, man. These guys – they have a massive following, but they have like a cult-like following. These fans are passionate, and, and they're young fans as well. This isn't like a baseball fan group. We've got a hip, young, really cool fan base for UFC. What these guys do, don't think for a second. Don't think for a second it doesn't influence what young athletes are thinking, athletes that might want to aspire to a UFC fight card one day. And so when we look at the surveys, you know, 77% of young athletes say that when they see the pro guys using, it puts pressure on them to use because they think it's the only way to get there. So there's a lot of intricate things that go on in this discussion, more than just our pro guys using. Uh, there's a big picture here, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's interesting, something you brought up there with teenagers, because you had a, I guess, a very eye-opening show here at the beginning of the month on March the 1st. Uh, if you go to RadioInfluence.com or iTunes, Stitcher, and you listen to Crush Performance, it was steroids are your kids using. And when I listened to what you had to say, it, it, some of the stuff it truly baffled me uh, about teenagers. And, and look, growing up, I played sports, but never even considered you know, using anything like that. I mean, I think when, you know, I was going through high school, creatine was probably the biggest thing yeah. that, that was, that was really g getting right. talked about, but it was so scary to me of the facts you were bringing up in that show. And, you know, I mean, and there may be people listening that have kids and, and this is probably, this is a conversation that if your kids involved in sports, you probably got to have. Yeah. Listen, and, and I say this humbly, of course, Jason, but if you're a parent coach or teacher, that's involved in sports or not even sports, just around kids, you should really listen to that show because that's the no BS version of what's going on out there. And it's scary as hell, man. And here's the interesting, interesting stat from high school kids, surveys that were done in high school kids. 85% of kids said that they've never had a conversation about PEDs and drug use in, you know, performance enhancing, appearance enhancing drugs with a parent, teacher or coach. And it just doesn't happen enough. You know, we just want to have these conversations. But when we look at the fact that, you know, one point, about 1.5 million uh, school age kids in the U.S. admit to using and there's way more that, that you know, didn't say anything. Uh, it's a scary number. And here's what people don't realize. The majority of, of school-age kids who are using um, are doing it not for sport. They're doing it for appearance. And the fastest-growing user group, believe it or not, are young females. So, you know, the, it, this goes well beyond sport, but we know that sport is a powerful tool for sending messages. So the fact that UFC, you know, teamed up with USADA and then they, they bring in – uh, you know, guys like Jeff to, to sort of orchestrate and, and, you know, solidify the program. This sends a strong message, I think, culturally to kids who are coming up. So I love what's going on. But but here's one thing I want to say just about the, the teen things. The average age of first use is 15 years of age. And that's a number I think we all need to focus on. 
in one of the stats you bring up there was something I wanted to bring up was you're, you're talking about the fastest growing group is young females. And of course, uh, you know, female MMA ha- has come under the microscope over the past couple of years, most notably because of Ronda Rousey. We've had, you know, a case here or there where, you know, a female test positive for a banned substance. But it, do you see a difference between what females are taking as opposed to males in terms of enhancing their performance? Well, here's the thing. If they're under the guise of somebody who knows what they're doing, yeah, it's dramatically different if they know what they're doing. And, again, I'm not endorsing that. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, most of these athletes at the highest level, they have doctors or medical people on board to guide them in the right direction. If you're just some kid or some guy fighter in a club somewhere who's getting it from the guy in the locker room or down the street in the alley – you better be freaking careful, man. I'm just telling you, it's a dangerous game to play. But, yeah, we certainly would treat you know our female athletes um, different than our male athletes. The problem is most of the athletes out there at any level have no freaking clue what they're doing. So, again, just stay away from it. And, again, if you're not getting screened properly, if you're getting this stuff on the black market, I can't say this loud enough. It's like a game of Russian roulette, Jason. It's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. So – Understand that most of these steroids and most of these substances have come out of medical research. These things actually have been developed for a real legitimate purpose, typically in the human health field. And just because of their, uh, I guess, the way they act on the human body, they've made their way into sport. Of course, that's pretty much what's happened across the board. Uh, But now we're got to an era where we have these rogue labs and these rogue formulators that are actually designing drugs for the intent of enhancing performance in sport and this is where the new age comes on and the real fight the real fight is yet to come i believe because now we're now with the testing that's going on and the enhanced testing and ufc is one of the leaders along with major league baseball really pushing the envelope wada is gaining more power ioc just announced here late last year and early this year that wada is getting tremendously more independent power to go out there and test what it's doing it's pushing these rogue guys uh, to the next level, to futuristic stuff that we just haven't tested yet. So it's a game of catch-up, and I just don't think we're ever going to catch up. And that's why I think I like the blood passport system. It's just uh, not cost-effective right now. You know, in in MMA, one of the things that gets talked about is, you know, expediting test results. Is Does that happen in, in, in organizations like Major League Baseball where they're telling these labs, hey, we want this back ASAP? Um, you know, I, I can't comment to that. I don't know for sure. But, you know, I think there's a pretty consistent time frame from the test to uh, from the sampling to the testing. And it's a pretty consistent ebb and flow. Um, and, and I think maybe under certain circumstances where there might be um, a lead or sort of like a, a whistleblower kind of a kind of a scenario where they have maybe some reasonable uh, intent or reasonable information suggesting that there's cheating going on. They may expedite it. I haven't heard of that, so I'm not sure. But I can see that happening, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, particularly in MMA, I think it's huge because, hey, if you got a, a guy uh, coming up with fight, I mean, and most notably where this really comes in is actually back in, uh, you know, last June with, with John Jones and uh, Brock Lesnar, that the, uh, the Canadian resident Brock Lesnar, right. even, even though he's really an American. Yeah, right. Exactly. He's got his card, though, man. He's got his card. Well, and again, that's something that that uh, UFC is unique, right? Because they have the different time frames 
for the different athletes. If it's an athlete that's stepped away from UFC and wants to come back, there's a six-month window. But if you're a last-minute call to a fight card because of an injury or whatever reason, uh, you have to be in the testing pool for one month. So there might be an expedited uh, situations there because of the different protocols that UFC has for their testing. Um, but I think once you're in the testing pool, things are fairly consistent. Yeah, they, they are. I mean, and obviously USADA has put in some new regulations that actually go go into effect. Uh, April 1, in, in terms of, you know, being in at testing pool and not, which is also interesting is if you, you have to, to if you, you announce your retirement, you actually have to disclose that retirement to USADA so you go out of the testing pool. For instance, Uriah Faber, uh, you know, retired at the end of last year after having a, a fight in his hometown of Sacramento. However, Uriah Faber was tested a week ago because he still has not exited the testing pool, which sometimes maybe a guy says, I'm not going to exit the testing pool because I, I might want to come back at some point. And, you know, George St. Pierre yeah. is going to go through that situation with, uh, right. you know, him, him coming back and, you know, and, and George has always been very, you know, pro drug testing, you know, for years he has talked about this and, and I remember one time, and this was before, uh, USADA became prominent with the UFC, uh, you know, he and other fighters, and, and I know fighters have used this company in the past is VADA, but it seems like you don't hear much about VADA anymore. Yeah, no, and I sort of think that they've sort of gone to the wayside because these more substantial, recognized uh, organizations are coming on board. So, yeah, you're right. I actually haven't heard a lot from them lately, and I actually haven't even thought of them to tell you truthfully. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's also interesting to me is, you know, I mean, when USADA came in, it, it regulatory commissions kind of – they had their guard up, but as time has gone on, I think they basically used USADA as more as as an education purpose, and really that's what anti-doping is all about. It's about educating yourself, and anyone who listens to Crush Performance, you get educated every week. Yeah, and there's no question. That would be the mandate. First of all, they want to try to even the playing field and deter, but education is the number one priority. I think for from WADA right down to all their affiliates, you saw it being one of them. Um, you know, up in Canada, you have the Center for Ethics in Sport who, who operates very, very closely with USADA to regulate North American um, uh, um, um, testing and, and protocols. Uh, but education is the absolute key. The problem is I don't know if we have a strong enough platform yet outside of the sports um, to to really let people know what the options are. And that's something that, that I think, you know, should fall under the guise of WADA. Here's what WADA and USADA, they don't do. They, as we talked before, they won't tell you what supplements you can take, what supplements are safe, because it's just there's too much liability there. But they also don't really give you. Um, good information on what you can do outside of going to the dark side to really get results. And Jason, that's where you need to find those real, real solid experts in the industry, the performance industry. And they're out there. There's guys out there. And listen, we have taken athletes who have used drugs forever, cleaned them up, got them healthy, trained them, turned them around, rebuilt them from the ground up to get results that they never even dreamt of while they were using. And so it can be done. When we take our athletes in, one of the first things we do is we, as I mentioned, we have a very serious conversation about usage because it's just a reality in professional sports, especially at the higher levels. And um, if we get an athlete who hasn't used, man, I'm telling you what, it's, a, it's like a clean slate. There's so much you can do. And again, you know, some of the results we've gotten to supersede anything you could get uh, when you're using. And again, if you don't know what you're doing, 
when you're using, you're playing Russian roulette, man. You know, and I know, um, I know an athlete that uh, he played uh, a professional sport. And whenever he would go, you know, purchase something at you know the local nutrition store, he would take it to his trainer. And before he even take it, he would say, "Can you please test this to make sure there, there's nothing in here that that's going to have me you know, a test for a banned substance?" I'm sure that's probably something you have gone through in the past with someone you've worked with. Say, "Hey, can we test this?" But how expensive is it for the common athlete who is a quote unquote independent contractor like a, a fire is to actually go out and get a supplement tested? Yeah, it, it can be expensive depending where you're at and depending what level of testing you want. It's expensive, man. It, it's in the thousands of dollars. I mean, you, to really get it done right. And you're right. It is. It's cost prohibitive. And that's where you really do have to sort of if you're going to use a supplement, get it vetted. Use Get an expert. Get it, uh, somebody who a dietitian, a sport dietitian, or a really good performance coach, strength and conditioning, CSCS certified to, to vet it out for you. Uh, because there are there are good companies out there trying to do good things. You just have to know who they are. Um, but you know, if you look at you look at our NFL guys, they are petrified. They are absolutely petrified of the supplement market. They won't use anything that's not supplied by their teams. And of course, they're under the uh, NSF certified for sport program, much like MLB and most of the major sports. So um, you're right; it's a reality. The problem is. The, the the average guy in the street or the young developing athlete doesn't have access to all these resources, so there's a big gap there. And I think that's the next big leap we have to take, Jason, is really bridging that gap for our developing athletes who are wanting to use something or needing to use something uh, to, to help with their d- daily feeding plans. Look, I, I'm in a NFL locker room all season long, and I can tell you that first thing when you walk into the locker room, you see that big poster of what is the band's substances. You can't miss it. As someone who's just going in that locker room to set up radio gear you know, for a broadcast, I mean, it's a huge poster uh, that you do see. And I kind of, I mean, I know it's very expensive, but I almost wish that the UFC and USADA would work with athletes in terms of athlete goes by something and, and help them out a little bit. So maybe a bad situation, you know, can, cannot happen down the road, but I do understand it. It's not exactly cost prohibited. Right. For sure. And you know what? I think the best solution for everybody who's listening is to really vet out, go, go to the NFL websites. You can go to NSF, you can go to informed choice. Those are pretty good, safe options. I mean, these companies have paid big money to get certified and, you know, to get those, to get those uh, products tested. So that would be the best bet for the average user. But I'm telling you, if you're not using a supplement with without a deliberate intent, you could probably save yourself a ton of money and uh, maybe save yourself a lot of heartache by just maybe spending a little bit money on a good sport dietitian and, and get some real results. I think, I think you know, the supplement industry, the way they market to everybody, Jason, um, it's just a, a, an easy – way to go to you know maybe get results most of the supplements out there are garbage i'll tell you that right now there's very few that are actually meaningful and then they're only meaningful if they're supported by a good diet around them so you know i think the supplement world sometimes is just it's kind of like the fast food industry right it's just easy and it's relatively cheap and i think uh, a lot of young athletes fall into that sort of that 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 pitfall of of just the, the convenience of the supplements 
for any MMA fire that's listening to this and, you know, they're you know, obviously trying to do what's best for them, what what's the one piece of advice you would give them in terms of uh, trying to use whatever it may be to enhance their performance? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. When we sit down and, and you know, I've been around some, some of the fighters and we've had pro football guys go into fighting, it is a great great sport to train for and again you know we take some of the training principles in in ufc and you know we'll get even some of our olympic athletes training like that just because of the the just the impact it can have an overall athletic ability but jason when we talk to our athletes i'll just lay this out for you and i, I would really like everybody just to think about this and whether they're a world-class fighter or whether they're a young developing fighter, or whether they have aspirations of getting on a card one day. There are priorities to development. And if you aren't taking care of these priorities, I don't give a rat's behind what you're doing. You will not reach your potential. When we break down an athlete, our number one priority is rest and recovery. Listen to me. Our programs are built not around how much work we can pack into a day or, you know, because the body can do a lot of work. And typically in the sporting world, what we're seeing is it's not that we're overworking or overtraining we're under recovery and i think you know for the in in large part the the performance industry the sport performance industry even at the highest level they have it backwards we build our programs around rest periods and inside of rest sleep is the number one priority if you're going to recuperate growth hormone happens when we sleep it's the most important time so we look at how much rest and recovery an athlete can get and then we start blocking in and programming our training then the second priority is nutrition, 24 hours a day, nutrition and hydration. You take care of those two things, and if you don't have a sleep and recovery program and you don't have a nutrition program, if all you do is straighten out, start logging those things, it will take you to heights you can't imagine. And then for our sporting athletes, for our high-performance guys, the third priority is posture. We look at muscular balance. We look at range of motion. We look at movement patterns and, and movement abilities. And if that's not where it needs to be, you could train till the cows come home and never reach your potential. But if you break down that foundation of posture and setup and really make sure it's where you need to be in order to start, then you can really find out where you can go. And then the Fourth priority, which everything else is built on, is movement. And, you know, we look at the movement in fighting. We look at the techniques that we need to use. We look at the proficiencies of the fighter. And then we would build the program based around that. If you take care of those four things, I'm telling you what, you could do a lot for your performance. And even at the highest level, we see massive massive gaps just in those basic fundamental principles. So um, if I was working with any fighter or talking to any fighter, and I don't care what level, uh, those are the, that's the first conversation I would have with them, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things you, you mentioned about there, and, and I hear this from fighters all the time, is about listening to your body and uh, and training smart, you know, because, uh, you know, if you overtrain, you know, you're, you're not going to be at peak performance. It, do, it doesn't matter how good a fighter you are. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And that's why we build our programs around rest. And then we plug in the volume intensity of work based on the amount of recovery time our athletes have. And most of our athletes, luckily, I mean, their full-time job is sport. But, you know, if these guys got other things going on or other stresses or, you know, when the media starts taking over, you have to really pay attention to what's going on around the athlete. And that, my friend, is where we build world championships. And, of course, uh, Crush Performance is available here on, on Radio Influence. I mentioned your most latest show is previewing 
uh, this season of the MLB. But uh, you know, some of your recent episodes it was about weight loss, and uh, always, uh, you know, it's probably about uh, you know once every couple of episodes that the war on sugar continues, which is a a big topic for you. What can uh, what can some of my listeners can expect from future episodes of Crush Performance? Yeah, so we've got some cool stuff coming up. This this week we're talking about, okay, so we have hockey going into the offseason. And one of the big mistakes we see, again, at every level of the game is what should a hockey player be doing in the offseason? And so we're talking about the offseason for hockey. And as baseball comes into play, we're talking to some of the experts from the Red Sox about, hey, getting prepared, properly prepared for the baseball season. The war on sugar will continue. And here's just one other thing that I think a lot of athletes, Jason, don't know is we're talking about, you know, maximizing performance. Sugar destroys performance, period. We're going to have a big episode coming up probably um, uh, in May about the impact of sugar consumption on performance but some of the recent research on testosterone growth hormone and nitric oxide and sugar consumption is alarming if you look at uh, the amount of sugar in our diet so the war on sugar will continue and uh, we're going to be looking at talent and talent development and, and is talent irrelevant what happens if you just put a person into an environment where there's absolutely no choice but to become expert at something and uh, the power of environment is a great conversation to have so we're looking forward to the next few episodes on Crush Performance. I thought one of the most interesting episodes, you, I mean, there's a lot of interesting episodes that you had, was the fact of the meeting of the minds between the Edmonton Royals and the Kansas City Royals about how they're doing these things. That was, that was very interesting to me. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you know what? The great thing is I know the Kansas City guys very well, and I've done a bunch of work with the Edmonton Oilers. And it was a, a couple years ago, uh, Edmonton has really got a very progressive uh, athlete development program inside their organization. And they just wanted to reach out to other sports and see, hey, what's going on in other sports? What could we learn from baseball, for example? So, you know, I go sit and talk shop with those guys. And they, they, they were sitting there and we were having lunch one day. They said, hey, if you were going to suggest a team to look at in terms of their development, and their player development, which team would you look at? And this is a couple years ago. I said Kansas City without a doubt. For the last five years, uh, Dayton Moore and the and uh, the administration over at the Kansas City Royals have really turned a leaf to player development. And with a smaller budget team, they're doing some great things. So finally, just this last January, the Kansas City Royals flew up to Edmonton. They met and they shared ideas. And I think it was really interesting when we talked to Kansas City afterwards and we talked to the Oilers after the, the takeaways they got from the different sports. And uh, I thought it was really interesting to hear how they're going to implement and, and use information from different sports to steer how they go about developing the talent inside of their organizations. Yeah, it was a fantastic conversation. So before we uh, get out of here, do you got a World Series pick for me? Hey, so, you know, I hate to blow it, but you can go to the podcast and listen. Um, my number one pick this year for the World Series, we'll see how accurate I am, is uh, Boston. I've got Boston at the top of my chart right now. They're doing some really cool things. They might not have the depth. I'm, you know, I'm just going to watch them with interest. But I picked Boston to take the whole thing. And I'm not lying. Last year, I was so choked in my top 10 teams to watch for the Major League Baseball season. Cleveland didn't make my my list. So I look like I look, oh, I, I look like an idiot. And I can't figure out how Cleveland didn't make my list. And again, the list isn't necessarily built about, about by who's going to win. 
but it's built around um, what these teams are trying to accomplish in their own or their own worlds. But in terms of the World Series, uh, I've got Boston taking it all this year, my man. Yeah, I've got my fantasy baseball draft this weekend, so I'm 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 starting that whole numbers crunching. I'll tell you, there was actually a, you might find this interesting. There was a great uh, piece on, on ESPN uh, put out a couple of days ago, a numbers piece, and just some unbelievable notes. You realize that Evan Longoria has the most uh, games played at third base like the last four years. Yeah, crazy, right? I because know. It, see, as a race fan, you just know that at some point Evan's going on the DL. At some point, he's going to have at least one sin on the fifteen day DL. That's just kind of the way it works. But right. it was, it was. I, there was another set on John Lackey about his numbers of what he's been like the past couple of years, and just. I, and I'm a big, I'm a big stat guy. I, I always right. have been. I, I you know, and, and so some numbers and. Uh, you know, and so uh, you know, it's it's to me, it's one thing that's that's weird about baseball is the 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 average age watching is so old to where yeah. some of those advertisers they get turned off and they look at a sport like MMA, who they've got that that male twenty five to fifty four year old audience they're looking for. Yeah, no question. And that's, that's something Major League Baseball is seriously addressing, trying to get that younger fan base back. And again, they've got some interesting platforms to do that. But yeah, it is a, it's going to be a big fight. But I mean, you look at sports like MMA, man, they're hip, they're cool. I mean, the athletes are, are pretty readily available and they're, they're out there. So um, and again, there's only so many recreation dollars to go around. But the, the baseball fan is, without question, an aging fan. So to recapture that youthful vigor, I think game development is going to be one of the prime directives, you know, for, for moving it forward. But, oh. yeah, it's an, interesting, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting landscape out there. And social media. I mean, and that's one of the things I, I, I love about covering them, May, is the fact that the fighters are, are very they're, – they're open and honest and, and they're very engaging yeah. with their fans. And let's be honest about it, in a lot of sports – you know, if you, you go to an athlete's Twitter account, is there a lot of interaction with the fans? Probably not. No, no. And again, <laughs> some of that's for good reason, of course. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's a really good, that's, that's a really big part of the sporting industry right now. And, and of course, MMA and UFC, they do a fantastic job. I don't know if it's mandated, but those guys build their followings. I mean, they're just marketing geniuses as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, I think it's you're an independent contractor and there is no, yeah. you know, three-year contract. So you, you've got to, you know, you, you know, not everyone's Conor McGregor where they, they can sell a fight to where millions of people want to watch, but, uh, that's what you got to do. But Jeff, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, uh, for, uh, any athletes out there that maybe want to get in touch with you, get more information, uh, where can they go to get, uh, to get in contact with you? Yeah, crushperformance.com. You can write us there. We always say on our show, questions, comments, smart remarks, get to us. Yeah, you can get to us at our website and our podcast hookups are there. And i got to thank you guys at Radio Influence, too. You guys have been fantastic in helping us spread the word to everybody out there. So much appreciated. Glad glad to be on today. It was fun. And, of course, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Crush, K-R-U-S-H. Of course, you can always follow, my, follow myself at Jason underscore Floyd. Of course, this podcast is always available at RadioInfluence.com, also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search the MA Insiders and subscribe, rate, and review. And do that to take a listen to Jeff's podcast, Crush Performance, also available on all those platforms on iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Crush Performance and you will find that. So let's go wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Insiders podcast. I'll be back next week. 
week with a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast, as I'm going to be talking to a couple of CES MMA fighters, including Wilfredo Santiago, who uh, had a very candid conversation with him about his life in prison and how he turned his life around. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. Here is Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera with an Inside the Dugout Quick Fix. If you're the Boston Red Sox, um, how do you prepare for life post-Big Poppy? It's already happened, you know, in spring training. They know that. He's been around already. He actually joined the WBC and was hanging out with them. I believe it was in Miami. Um, Hey, you you know, life goes on. You know, when Mo Vaughn left after an MVP and uh, a couple of more great years when the Red Sox really started making it and, and turning their, you know, from 86 years without a World Series to finally winning a championship, they didn't have Mo Vaughn. They went out and got, you know, guys like Kevin Millar and Johnny Damon. And, you know, they had a whole different club and they won three World Series. And, and of course, they did have David Ortiz, but that was really the replacement. David Ortiz was a guy with Minnesota that hit, I think he had 20 home runs one year, but didn't really overall hit very well. Minnesota gave up on him. The, the Red Sox took a flyer, got him, and the rest is history. He's probably going to the Hall of Fame. Inside the Dugout with Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.